Welcome. I'm Lori Lee Benstock, host of a Trauma Survivor Thrivers podcast. April is World Autism Awareness Month, and according to the Centers for Disease Control, autism affects an estimated one in 54 children in the United States today. The Autism Society, the nation's leading grassroots autism organization, tries to create autism awareness, inclusion, and self-determination for all with a goal to assure that each person with autism spectrum disorder has the opportunity to achieve the highest possible quality of life. And joining me today is Antonio Myers. You, you call autism your superpower. You know, you're also a trauma survivor, thriver, and host of Antonio Time Podcast. So thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, you're very, very welcome. And I'm glad I get to be a blessing to our community. Absolutely. Well, you know, tell me a little bit about yourself. I love that you call autism your super blessing. So I, I'd love to hear why. Um, I think outside the box, I'm naturally unconventional as a human being. I think we all are. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we just try otherwise not to be, which is not really the, the, a, the a great way to be, a healthy way right, to be. Right, because when we think of fitting and want everyone to like us, I'm not interested in everyone liking me. I just, I'm into being a respectable, respectful person. That's what I care about. It's a lot more work to make people like you. I mean, yes. it's really hard to make people like you. Right? <laughs> I mean, so it's like, what's the point? Because even if you're trying, sometimes if you tried, it doesn't like even matter. Me, like me, what? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, you, you told me that you actually had dealt with trauma. Uh, do you feel comfortable talking about your experience? Yes, I've been on other podcasts sharing it. Plus, I'm at the point where I can bless people with the mutual pain. I don't like to say my pain because if we share it, then that's communal. And mm -hmm. we can make more of a community if we, you know, have that vulnerability, because I think my sharing it publicly means that if you, if, because I handle it well, it's worthy of sharing. Mm -hmm. So I'll, I'll do that now. Um, it, uh, whew, a lot of sexual abuse, domestic violence, more than one perpetrator. Yeah, um, I'm still, I'm always stunned at it. Mm -hmm. I was five. When it started? Yeah. Yeah. So to tell me to forgive a lot of them, the, all of them, feels unfair. Mm, yeah, I don't think anybody should be told to forgive somebody. I think right. that's just something that just needs to be your a personal decision. Are, are people actually telling you? Well, I grew up in a religious community where they overemphasize forgiveness, but it's very black and white because you go, okay, what does that mean? in my 
in the forced situation I was forced to be in. Mm-hmm. And this whole, you got to love them. I can't compute that in my brain. What do you mean by love them? It was, it was very vague on what I was told, you know, in the, when they were preaching, like, um, but I don't know what you're really talking about. It's, I can't process this because it's very hazy and cloudy when I'm being told it's confusing. Mm-hmm. And recently I, um, I left religion because the number one reason is they treat survivors no different than people in the streets do. The, how society treats survivors, they do the same thing. And I'm not a religious bigot, I feel like I have to say that, but I decided to just be ethical and moral as a person. And I I just, with religious to, it really doesn't address my pain, the pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do want to bring up, you know, my, my parents were also religious. Um, I was sexually abused by my father. So that is something that you, um, you kind of lose faith in that, especially when they're trying to preach these things to you. Um, so I can completely understand. I, you know, I absolutely don't, um, I don't knock religion at all. Um, I think each person kind of carry, um, religion differently and right. i think that I, I am more respectful to those people who um are are you know treat others with kindness and right. passion yes um you know I, we hear a lot about people getting upset when you know when something bad happens and they just say just pray about it or forget yeah. you know and i think that kind of makes it worth worse. I mean, I, I'm all for, you know, sending, you know, praying for me or praying for you or sending good thoughts. Right. Right. But I feel like that needs to be coupled with, um, a little more understanding, maybe, you know, what can I do? Um, you know, what can we all do to, to, to fix this? Um, not let's just pray about it and forget it happened. Um, Cause yeah. I think you're not fixing the problem, right? You're not, you're not because trauma will affect you. It, it manifests in so many different ways. Um, it, and I, and I have realized that. And I think, you know, seeking the help um, you need is, is key and, and not necessarily, you know, praying it away or, you know, making those thoughts go away. Um, so I completely understand where you're coming from there. Um, have you taught, have you taught, I mean, I know you've been on podcasts talking about the abuse. Have you um, see, sought any treatment for, for the abuse? Oh, years. Uh, therapy, counseling, psychologists, Life coaching, life skills group in college, um, my recovery center, and I was in a psych ward for an entire weekend. Mm. Yeah. Do you, 
Do you feel like you've received, like looked into any? So for me, I did talk therapy for a long time, actually. Um, when I was, you know, 10 years ago, 12, 11 years ago, I was, I, I went to a psych ward um, after an overdose and uh, they diagnosed me bipolar. So for 10 years, I was um, on bipolar medications, lithium, really, really serious medications that really affected me. Um, I didn't know it was trauma. I didn't know it was PTSD. I never talked about the abuse up until last year. Literally a year ago is the first time I actually spoke it out loud. Um, and then, and it was, and it was because, you know, someone started talking to me about trauma and I'm like, PTSD for for abuse, child sexual abuse. Is that, is that real? Like, you know, I thought it was just something that affected um, veterans or, you know, um, people who've mm. been to war. So I just thought I was bipolar this whole time. And then when I started talking to other people, you know, I've been doing talk therapy for a really long time. Wow. And so it was a really hard thing to, um, to realize. I was like, okay, well then what do I do now? And then I went into, you know, residential treatment, you know, 10 years later. So that was last year. Um, and I was there for 31 days. Uh, and mm. it was really an incredible experience because it wasn't like, it was a trauma informed um, facility. So it was just like, they treated every single person with kindness and compassion. And, you know, I was able to do different modalities of treatment, like EMDR, eye movement, desensitization, you know, you, you're like looking at a light bar. Yeah, that really helped me be able to talk about um, the mm -hmm. abuse in there in group therapy, which I was, I didn't, I didn't even really want to do group therapy, but you know, you're kind of forced to and then I realized like, oh, wow, these people are kind of dealing with the same stuff I'm dealing with. Um, and then it was, it, it, it really changed. It really changed my perspective on a lot of things. And then it was like, what, what other modalities are out there? Cause I've never really heard about EMDR. And then I did like neurofeedback and I did, um, somatic experiencing. And so I, you know, I feel, I definitely encourage you if you ever, are interested to look into some of those other modalities. Cause I mean, I got a lot of um, help and treatment, but I feel like working on myself every day has helped. Um, I don't think I, I, I don't think I mentioned it previously, but I actually tried um, MDMA um, drug assisted therapy, which was, um, it was a six hour therapy session, but that is when I, I, I think it was like an incredible breakthrough where it was like, wow, I, I actually understand the abuse a little bit more. I'm, you know, obviously I'm not excusing it, but I re realized during the MDMA treatment, I, I like went, I like went back into like, like this movie started playing in my mind of all of these different, um, kind of conversations that I've had with people about my father. And then I started to realize like, it was like I, I was watching a movie of his childhood and he was abused and he kind of grew up with other people normalizing this abuse. And so then he didn't, you know, I was able to be a little more empathetic, like, okay, well, maybe he didn't know any better. It doesn't excuse it, but um, 
you know, he also didn't know how, you know, he, I, I'm not saying that he thought it was normal, but he thought it was normal for, you know, his family probably normalizing it. So I, um, I definitely encourage you to kind of check out some of the other um, modalities out there. What made you start Antonio Time? Uh, Antonio Time Daily. Um, encouragement. I was actually afraid to be a public person because I said, I'm black. Who wants to listen to a black person? I'm autistic. Who wants to listen to somebody who special needs? I've been tortured as a child. We live in a world that covers things up. If they're covering up racism, they're going to cover up abuse. Why would I want strangers piling on me? Because I thought it would be more of the five-year-old saying attacks. And the people in my life, including myself, I came to the conclusion that many people would love to hear from me. And I'm not supposed to be a private person, and I embrace it for the very first time this year. Oh. Well, you know, I feel like more more than ever, people are embracing, like, their uniqueness and airing out their mess. You know, I obviously am. You obviously are. Um, and like you were saying, you are a Black man. You are um, a man with special needs. Um, I would say you're successful. So you're, you know, you're in the space of, like, intersectionality, right? Where, like, uh-huh. many people define it as a disadvantage. But it seems like you kind of find this, you, you're you're realizing that this is like your superpower, right? Yeah. Strong advantages indeed. Mm-hmm. That's, that's amazing. I think that that is a, a, a wonderful um, way to look at things. And I feel like more and more people in the world need to kind of see that, you know, see that right. embrace everybody's uniqueness. Cause like yeah. you can learn so much more and just open your eyes up to, to so many things. And I feel like that's kind of what being in, in treatment, I felt like that was really helpful to see everyone's mess. Cause it was like, it's not just me and it's not even just this other person or this person. It's so, I mean, I think mm-hmm. everyone struggles with a little trauma. Yeah. yeah. I can share my story, but I want to, reiterate something to for full clarification purposes i had a um i was reared in church and i really tried my best i just noticed some things that made it hard for me to continue and so yeah i don't knock religion either i can tell you the positives of it at the same time it it reminded me so much of what I saw outside the buildings that that did something to me. But I can tell you my story now. Okay, I'd love I, to hear it. Uh, two years old, I was diagnosed with pervasive developmental disorder that was considered the autism of the time. This is 90, so mm-hmm. there's way more ignorance of autism back then than there is now. But technology and experts have advanced themselves thankfully and they were upset because i didn't talk and they wanted me to talk they're like you're not talking to us he doesn't talk to us my my parents said don't talk to strangers 
I think a lot of parents have told their kids don't talk to strangers. Mm-hmm. You see it in movies. I've seen it in real life. Okay. And then at four, they're like, he's still not speaking. What is up with this pressuring me to be vocal? I don't understand this. And then they were like, basically, there's nothing, you know, his chances of being successful are extremely low. Um, he may not make it. Um, we think that he has some multiple learning disabilities and um, we'll just hope for the best for him. But at four, that's when I started talking. Shortly after that, I just talked on my own and been talking ever since. <laughs> now I'm a high school valedictorian. I'm a college graduate. I am a designated disability services provider by the DC Department of Disability Services. I've traveled to Italy, Croatia, Slovenia, and London, England, and I've done two commencement graduation speeches, 14 and 23. Wow, that's amazing. You are thriving. Yes. Yes, I love that. I, I think that's interesting that everyone's like, why why aren't you talking? And did they <laughs> I, that's so funny because when I I mean I, I you know when I was younger my mom would you know I remember I was just shy. I didn't I didn't hmm. I didn't talk much when I was in I think it was like first grade my teacher sent it um a note to my mother saying that she's too timid, she needs to speak up. Oh, and God. my mom, yeah, my mom actually got mad at me. She was oh, angry and then was kind of, yeah, you know, she, she, I had, you know, we have our own issues too, but, um, wow. So a- after several years, you know, I started being more talkative. And then when I was in third grade, I got a note sent home to my mom saying, she's disruptive and talking too much in class. So then I got yelled at for that. And I think that, huh? <laughs> right. Like I, it, I think that's what kind of moved my, you're not good enough because no matter how you, tr- how, no matter how hard you try, wow, you overcorrect and screw up. Right. So that, that wow. that's also something that I'm working on. This, this is just appalling on their part. Just, we develop and we, you know, when we are comfortable, we talk and we, you know, I mean, there are times now that I don't feel comfortable talking. I'm just like, I, I don't know what to contribute to this conversation. Yeah. So I'm just going to listen. Because talking doesn't mean you're saying anything of substance. We live in a verbal diarrhea universe. <laughs> so being that in the 90s, when uh-huh. they when they diagnosed you what yes. is now being called um autism uh-huh. did you did they seek um like i cuz i guess now they would have behavioral specialists and all of that like did you did they know that that was a thing or that was just it was the 90s it was the 90s yeah. and the ada was passed Five years before I was two years old, which is 1990. And so they were just guessing. See, we live in a world where extraordinary, that's why the word exists, because uniqueness sadly isn't very 
common to to uphold. Mm -hmm. So when they don't know what giftedness means, they'll confuse it with malfunction. Mm -hmm. It's not. It's a beautiful function. Like I don't get to the higher low functioning because I don't want to insult anybody. Mm -hmm. And they said I was high functioning. Well, you're just, well, you're normal, but there's still something about how your brain works that needs to be worked on. That they kept, like, I was compared to a lifeless vegetable before. Wow. Yeah. And so my parents, with the kind experts, sued the ignorant experts, <laughs> meaning, <laughs> yes, DC public schools, they brought it on themselves. Uh, DC, <laughs> DC public schools and we won and they had to pay my tuition until my valedictorian high school graduation day wow 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 valedictorian wow for me at least I feel like the abuse and all of the trauma caused me um certain learning disabilities where I just couldn't, I would, I had a hard time, um, kind of focusing and paying attention. Um, so even though, even though that was like, it was so important for my parents, for me to be so successful in school, I feel like they didn't realize that the, the trauma I was receiving from them was really hindering me from being able to, to, function well in school wow because yeah. you know i'm sixth grade a uh, sixth grade cashier selling root beer floats i won the cursive crown basically an award for cursive writing and reading because i saw a classmate do and i said i want that got on the first try seventh grade secretary eighth grade president i did basketball um track i did softball i i was we always went to the mall to go to Dave and Buster's because I was always doing the most book reports. <laughs> yeah, 4.0, 11th grade. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. Academics just came, you know, it's it just easy. Yeah. That's amazing. You know, I know we, we talk about like, you know, your your family being religious and needing you to be these things but do you feel like their support or did you receive support elsewhere to help you um, get yourself on this path of of where this all these other things weren't weren't holding you back i had um decent educational support i have people become like family i have mm. people are friends um you know i have I had a loving grandma who was the first one to introduce me to faith. So, you know, that's a very complex experience for me. Mm -hmm. um, first, she's the first person to basically empower me to be me. And yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then um, I had people that never gave up on me. And that's why I never gave up on me. I haven't had suicidal thoughts in 20 years. Wow. I think that is, that is, that is key. Like, I feel like when you feel like you have a purpose and you feel like you have support, mm -hmm. 
that that helps you kind of move past all of the the negative things that you tell yourself, right? Because I feel like we are kind of our worst critics sometimes. At least that is for me. But I do, I think support is really important. Yeah. Um, so I think you're lucky there. I know, you know, I've dealt with suicidal ideation for um, so, so long. You know, I think it was 13 when I had my first suicide attempt and then at 16. And the thing is, uh, because there was a, such a stigma on mental health at that time, you know, my parents actually never took me to the hospital. They just kind of made me vomit everything, right? Like it was, it was, they never, I, I remember uh. just, I, they never took me to the hospital. And I honestly think I did it to, because I was screaming out for help because I actually, yeah, I mean, I was, I actually asked to see somebody, right? I was like, I think right, there's something right. wrong. I think I need to talk to somebody. And my parents were just like, no, no. Your part. Yeah. Yeah, they they were like, I don't. That doesn't. No, it's like me, basically mental health isn't real. Um, you just I, I this what I heard a lot of the time was, um, just don't think about it. Don't think about what's upsetting you, and oh then it'll God. go away. Um, wow. I, I I I guess that worked for them. I no, I really don't think it did. But because um, it's gonna come back, what it is. Sense bigger and stronger until it forces you to deal with it so right <laughs> exactly and i think that's what everyone needs to know that you can't just push trauma and abuse down it needs to be addressed it needs to be talked about um it doesn't have to be talked about on a, a big platform um you know like me or antonio but i think talking about it to someone you trust is in, is a first step and and I feel like once you finally do that it sets you up on like a path to healing yeah um, so yeah uh, I, I must say this before I go on that I feel safe with you oh I feel safe with you thank you I do appreciate that yes because that's something I think about a lot to communicate that I feel safe with a person and I say it directly, like, I feel your protection over me, even though we're being virtual right now. Yeah. I feel like a lot of things are virtual these days, right? That's how people meet nowadays. Yeah. But yeah, I'm so glad that you feel that way. And I do feel, feel safe with you as well. You are very, you you are kind, you're compassionate and Mm -hmm. you're just such a thriver. (laughs) <laughs> is there um I'm laughing <laughs> is there anything that you would like to add yes let's well yes I there's a relationship between autism and sexuality mm-hmm. I figured it out actually two years ago I had to learn it when I was in my direct support professional academy paid training where we're because I'm autistic we're we're much more sensitive to triggers triggers to be Mm -hmm. good or bad trauma trigger calling me a bad name positive trigger complimenting me from the genuineness of your heart so Mm. yes there are two types of triggers and sensibilities and sensitivities and that relates to sex so our touch position act 
sounds, movements, gyrations. Oh, now you have to say too much what senses have to because of how our brains work. And that really healed me because I was like, I didn't know there's a relationship between pleasure and my brain wiring. And I was in the immersion <laughs> again. I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this can help abusive writers. I learned this from a website, healthysex.com. It's awesome. There's, can, there's this search model, consent, equality, respect, trust, and safety. Mm-hmm. By the way, wrap up if you're active. I, yes, we have. I, I want to help save lives here. And basically, you know, being a sensitive lover helps me heal sexually. Yes, I'd get x-rated because I'm an x-rated person. That's okay. <laughs> that is okay. I feel like there are a lot of people who are like that. They just don't really talk about it, right? Yes. And make sure that if you're sexually active, make sure the person and their persons are integrity people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And overall, I have boundless optimism, meaning I'm positive no matter what. Wow, really? See, and I think that's another thing you're you're sending out these these good vibes into the universe, right? And then uh-huh. it just that's how they come. It comes back to you that way. Yes, I believe in oneness and wholeness. I think being complete and mature is good because I'm a version of you. Your version is me, and we. Let's see, I, you have a right to joy and happiness, and so do I. I'm, mm-hmm. I see it in me, so I, I am obligated to see it in you. So if I see it in both of us, I treat me well, I treat you well, because we have more similarities than people make it. Yeah, people make you like differences are bad. It, no. Um, so because we're human, that means we have more the same things that we are desiring of and needing of. So it's like, I'm part you, you're part me in some kind of way. Mm -hmm. And I think that stops abuse and also makes being humane much more prevalent. So so that's my uh, spirituality. I'm a humanist, so. Wow. Yeah, I think that that definitely is... It's definitely something that I think everyone should should you know I, I was when you know I was more of the the skeptic. I was always scared to be super excited about something because I always thought I was going to get disappointed. Um, they, you know, that was me. That was how I lived in my head. I lived in my head. I didn't live in the present. I um, up until treatment, I really, I literally just kind of lived in my head and kind of, I was just scared of everything. Right. I was, I had so much fear that something Ah. was going to go wrong. So I never, it's like, I thought I was, well, and I guess that's what that part of me does. Like that, that anxious part of me is trying to tell me, like, it's trying to protect me because I will get disappointed and it'll be really upsetting. Wow. But that kind of, that, you know, obviously that, that's sending all of this negative energy out into the universe. And um, when I realized that being present, mm-hmm. just My- not, mindfulness mindfulness is so important you don't realize how important mindfulness is until you until someone tells you you know why don't you just 
think about what's happening right now. And you have to be reminded of that. If for someone who, for someone like me who lived in my head, I had to do what was effective for me was like yoga, right? Like I had to focus you like on yoga. I do. Yes. I have to high five. Yes. I <laughs> love. Yeah. It, it was the only thing that made me mindful. It was the only thing where I could do challenging, like balancing and, and feel like I, um, and, and feel like I had to focus on what was happening because if I didn't, I'd fall over. Right. So, mm-hmm. and then you realize like, okay, I can do this more. I can just focus on what is happening, doing grounding exercises. And that is kind yeah. of what, what helps. Um, and so ever since, you know, when I was in treatment, I was there for 31 days. I was doing, I was meditating for 31 days, at least once a day. And being able to do that started training me to become mindful because what is it? It's like, um, if you do something for two weeks straight, it becomes, it starts to become a habit. Right. Right. So when I did it for 31 days, I was like, I was, I was mindful. I didn't have this. I didn't have this fear that something bad was going to happen to me constantly. So it was, that was life-changing. Congrats, Lori Lee. Oh, Encore, bravo. (laughs) I know. Yes, I learned this in talk therapy myself. Yeah. I'm, yeah, it's that it's really helpful. It's really helpful to live in the moment. You know, I feel like I I didn't realize how important that was when people would say, live in the moment. I'm like, I'm living right now. And that's enough. And then it was just like, because I think that in trauma, you're taught to just hurry up the moments. And mm-hmm. then you're more of, wait, I'm in charge of the moment, ethically speaking. Because mm-hmm. you have to be mindful to be ethical. Mm-hmm. Right, right. I feel like um, you're kind of just going through the motions, right? Just otherwise, just. Yeah. Um, and I. Know. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I'm just saying I feel like I'm doing everything purposefully, like I'm making um, decisions, you know, I'm actually listening. I think what you're saying, like with tr- if you've st- struggled with trauma, a lot of it is you disassociating. Um, yeah. Yeah, a lot of fear there. Um, but I, I do feel fortunate that I was able able to overcome that. that. That is awesome because I just got placed and you know i've been meeting more survivors myself and it's healing to know that who ain't just me no offense it's just not just me it's dealt with it and oh i got more success i mean in college i learned assertiveness i was an assertiveness club boundaries club those skills club uh conflict resolution club healthy manhood club i was in uh, active minds mental health advocacy club meditation and mindfulness so yeah i did i learned these skills in school in, in college i was in therapy twice a week for three and a half years oh by the way the first person to graduate in my family three and a half years from college oh wow i bet those the, the those family members who were like why isn't he talking like, <laughs> uh, we were all wrong <laughs> 
Antonia, thank you so much for joining a Trauma Survivor Thrivers podcast. That was Antonio Myers, Trauma Survivor Thriver, host of Antonio Time Daily. You can find his show, Publishing Daily. And if you want to learn more about Antonio and his podcast, please visit atstpodcast.com. That's the letter A, atstpodcast.com. You can find all of my social media platforms there as well. So please follow me for more information from me. Also, don't forget to subscribe to my website to get my monthly magazine, Authentic Insider, directly to your email each month. Antonio will be contributing for April's issue, so you won't want to miss it. Thank you for being a part of the conversation. I'm Lori Lee Binstock. Take care. <laughs>